0: Because there's certain things that we need to have memorized, and and our kids can say it, and they're amazing because they don't even have to try. Uh, But we're going to have to probably try and work at it a little bit. But we're gonna we're gonna build on it. So hopefully, there's going to come a time, not too far in the recent in the distant future, that we'll all be able to say, "Look, we can recite the Apostle's Creed." We might have to re-memorize it many times, but hopefully, we get there. Today we're in Psalm 50, so go ahead and have your Bibles to Psalm 50. The title today is A Worship Manual. It's, this psalm is going to direct us and tell us how it is that we come before God. Now, just to be clear and to kind of paint a little path for us, uh, next week, some of you are like, hey, is this week when we pick up Hebrews again? N- no. Uh, but next week, we will be back in Hebrews. We'll be starting in Hebrews 7, talking about everyone's favorite person, Melchizedek. And so uh, what I want to do is encourage you, this is your homework, this is some of your homework, I'm sure we'll assign more as we go through the service, Uh, read through the book of Hebrews several times, not just once, several times. Make sure, again, you get the flow of the book, but particularly, uh, we'll be focusing in on Hebrews 7, we'll be looking at Melchizedek, Uh, but that's next week, today, Psalm 50, and we're going to talk about giving. Yay! Yay! What? Like you guys were like hooting and hollering earlier. Um, I'm, I'm super excited that we're preaching on giving. And in fact, uh, some of you have said, some of you have come to me and said, hey, we haven't preached on giving for a while. When are we going to do that? And actually just looking through this psalm this week and thinking through why it is that we give. Just convicted, we, we do need to make sure we're just bringing forth why we give of our time, of our talents, our treasures, much more regularly here. And I want to give you two reasons why we should be excited about sermons, not just about giving, but application that moves us towards giving. uh, Because the gospel, number one, is all about giving. I just want you to think about that. The God that we worship is one who created all of life, who has given us existence, and then because of sin, uh, He then sent his son, Jesus Christ. He gave his son to go to the cross that we who believe in him would be forgiven. I mean, Mark 10, 45 says, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then as as we become Christians, we are told that he gives us every spiritual blessing that there is in the heavens. We're told that he gives us a a undefiled, unfading inheritance. He gives us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. He gives us spiritual gifts that we'd be used to build up the body. He gives us the gospel that then we would go to others and give them the gospel that they would believe in Jesus. Um, Everything about the gospel is about the fact that god has given us grace and so now as christians we have the opportunity to give others the gospel to give of our own selves the other people would hear the truth of the gospel so for that reason alone we should never avoid or be hesitant about hearing about giving but we should press into it secondly we're continuously warned in scripture about the danger of riches I just want you to think about that. So this last week in my Bible reading plan, uh, I was reading through Mark chapter 10, and so the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, you know, they have this conversation, and Jesus then says, you need to sell everything that you have, and come follow me. And the guy walks away sad, but then the next things that Jesus said is, is really what's important. Three times, In a row, Jesus says how difficult it is for the wealthy to inherit the kingdom of God. And so we're told repeatedly throughout scriptures that that money and riches can serve as an obstacle that they can give us a false sense of security and satisfaction here on earth and we think that we do not need Christ and so giving is not only a wonderful way of proclaiming the gospel and living out the truths of the gospel but it's a great way also of guarding our own heart against being deceived into that which cannot truly give us security into that which not can which cannot truly satisfy us so as we come today, we're going to look at giving, but I want you to know, my goal is not that actually you, you, you give money. Like, I, I really don't care what you give, just so you know. Um, my, my goal is that you would think why you give and how you give, and that you would do so out of joy and out of thankfulness. Not to meet a budget or exceed a budget or, or whatever that is. God promises to meet the needs of his church. So my goal is not, hey, we we need more money for this or for that or, or anything. But we would consider, are we giving faithfully? and in accordance with how God calls us to with thanksgiving. So the main point today is that God saves us, that we would worship him through a heart of thankfulness. And so that's just the lens that I want us to look at everything as we come into this text today. So if you have your Bibles, Psalm 50, I want to invite you to stand as we read that. We stand at the reading of God's word uh, because it's God's word. And we simply do so to... um, Remind ourselves of the truth and the authority of God and the word that He's given us. So here we go. We're going to read the whole psalm. It's not as many verses as last week, if you remember. I think we did like 30, 37? I don't know, 37? Uh, so we only got 23 today. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. From the rising of the sun to its setting out of Zion, the perfection of beauty God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, fire. Around him is a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Here O oh, my people, and I will speak. O oh, Israel, I will testify against you. I am, your, I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes, or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Let's pray. Our Father, Father, help us to understand the truth of your text. May we see the beauty of who you are today. That you are the mighty one, the God, the Lord, the one who has created all things, owns all things, is independent of all creation, and you sustain everything. Lord, may we behold you today. May we remember the truth of your gospel. And may we be moved because of what you have done by your grace in your Son, Jesus Christ. May we be moved to thankfulness. May our hearts be filled with joy. And may we give of everything that we have our very breath to you, for you alone are worthy of all praise and all worship. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. So I want us to just kind of jump in, and we'll see how this psalm starts. We see that God is gathering his people. Our text begins, he's, he's summoning his people to, be, to appear before him. And, and before we get to the people actually gathering, we see that God has three names that are describing him in verse 1. We have the word the mighty one, which is the Hebrew word El, which refers to God's might and his strength. Then you have the word God, which is the Hebrew, Hebrew word Elohim, which refers to him as ruler and creator of all things. And then you have the word Lord. When you see the word Lord in your Bibles, and it's all capitals, it means it's referring to his covenant name. It refers to Yahweh. I am that I am, or it can be translated I be that I be. It refers to God's covenant name. It refers that he is self-existent and independent of all things. And we'll talk about that more as we go forward. But what we see is the author is stacking name upon name upon name as he's referring to God's strength, his might, his power, his rule, and his authority. He's saying it's this God that's summoning you that all of the earth from the rising to the setting of the sun proclaims. It's this God in verse 3 that there's a great fire and a storm all about him. It's this God that we see in verse 6, the heavens proclaim his righteousness. Heavens referring to the moon and the stars and the planets that they exist for the purpose of directing all of creation to the very glory of God. This description is a little similar to what we see in Exodus 19. If you remember when God has gathered his people and is about to give them his law, the Ten Commandments, we read in in Exodus 19 verse 18, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord has descended on it in fire, the smoke of it like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. There's there's a kind of feeling as we're coming in that this God with the storm and this mighty power is now coming and he's summoning to his people. But in Exodus 19, he's gathering his people because he's establishing a covenant with them. Here, he's gathering them for judgment. And what we're going to see is that he's gathering them to communicate to them, you've not been living in a right way. You've not been worshiping me the way that I've called you to. And so this judgment is really a means of grace because he's calling his people to repentance that they wouldn't actually experience his true everlasting judgment. And so when we come to a text like this, and, and, and there is judgment. And, and sometimes we kind of want to step back and we want to cringe, but he's actually calling us to draw us to him. Say, no, I'm giving you this warning right now so that you'd repent now and you'd live in the way that I've called you so you will not experience the everlasting judgment of God. And just so you know, that's what happens every time we come together like this and we preach God's word. God's calling us to behold him who he truly is, that we would rightly understand him and live in accordance of that. That's also what happens every day when you read your Bibles. We're coming in to God's word. And like, like a father gives instruction to his child, so the father's giving us instruction through his word that we would see him rightly because every day that we live here in this world... The world that we live in, the culture that we live in, our very own sin in and of ourselves wants, us to, wants to pervert our understanding of God. And when we have a wrong view of God, even if it's a few degrees off, we'll begin to live also in a way that's disobedient to his very word. So just like he's doing here in Psalm 50, every time we come into God's word, he's refining our understanding of who God is. And so, uh, he's gathering his people, and what we're going to see, there's actually two types of people that gather, and they're all called Israel. And so, we'll look at these people. We have the first group, which is what we're going to see is religious Christians, and that's in verses 7 to 15. These Christians are those who have begun to trust in their own acts of righteousness. You can see in verse 8, uh, God says, look, I, I don't rebuke you for your sacrifices, in fact, you're supposed to do sacrifices. And in fact, what we see, they're doing them all the time. They continually are doing these sacrifices. But then in verse 9, God says, But I, but I don't want them. I, I won't accept a bull from your house or a goat from your field. The problem's not with their external actions, but it's with, it's with the inward condition of their hearts. Now at this time, it was a common belief that you would perform a sacrifice for a god as a means of of meeting a need of the gods. It was believed that as we made sacrifices, the gods then feasted on those sacrifices and they were sustained and they fed upon them as though they needed them. And so the people, they actually thought that they're, they're actually helping God out doing these sacrifices. That they're actually providing a need that God has. But what we see is in verse 12, God says if, and that's a big if, if I was hungry I would not tell you why. For the world is mine and the fullness is mine and then do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Which of course God is saying no. I I don't do that. But what what the people began to do, because they had a slightly wrong view of God, they began thinking, oh, maybe he's like these other gods, and and he has a few weaknesses, a few deficiencies, a few areas, and and we can actually help him out. And we can do things like that too. We can fall into the same mindset. We can think that our acts of righteousness make us appear uh, needy or uh, helpful to God, and that he needs us in order to advance his purposes. God needs my church attendance." God needs my Bible reading. God needs my money. God needs my time. We might even say, uh, where would the church be without me? I mean, I'm so incredibly helpful. I'm the one who's always there. I'm there before other people. I'm there after other people. I do these very things, and while we may not verbalize it, we might actually begin thinking, God's plans are contingent on me. Now, I know that we don't ever want to say that's us, but isn't that us sometimes? Like, you ever... Man, my family would be screwed up without me. Man, my work could not exist without me. My church could not go another day without me. Don't we think those kinds of things? And so that's where this first group has begun to fall. And I'm calling them this religious Christians. They're just very focused on their performance. But yet God still seems to be calling them his people. But then what's interesting is when we go to group two, and it's called lawless Christians in yours, but I'm just going to call them lawless church attenders. And that's in verses 16 through 23. Notice in verse 16 how God calls them. But to the wicked, God says, these people are called wicked. So get this, they're they're in Israel. They are Israelites, and yet... Doesn't appear that this group actually believes in God. Now, this is very similar to what we often have in church today. Well, we have those who come to church and they are true believers, they've confessed Jesus as Lord, they, they know they're believers, and then there are others who are not believers. Happens in every church. We hear it in we see it in Israel, they're they're all Israel, but well, not everyone's a believer. And we have wicked people who are gathering. And what we see is these people are characterized by their lawlessness. Verse 16 makes it clear. They know God's word. They recite God's statue. They speak of his covenant. We might even, be, we might even start thinking of the Pharisees. They knew his word so well. They had it memorized. We've got to be careful what we memorize, right? It can puff us up. In verses 17 through 20, we see that they willfully disobey God. And it's not that they just willfully do it, but they enjoy it also. Look at verse 17. They hate discipline. Do you remember the book of Proverbs? Kind of an important book, Old Testament. it's, It's really, it's about a father writing to his son about how to live a godly life, how to live a wise life. And yet here, Israel is acting like the foolish son rejecting instruction, rejecting instruction, rejecting instruct uh, discipline. Verse 18, we see they're pleased with thievery. And notice it says they they hang out with adulterers. If you look, it says, if you see a thief, you're pleased with him. And you keep company, meaning you You condone their activities. You hang out with them as if it's a good thing that they're all committing adultery. Verse 19, their mouths speak evil. Verse 20, they slander their own family members and people within the covenant community. These are people who know biblical truth, but they do not live it out. They presume to have God's grace when in fact they're still under his wrath. And so, what's interesting is we might say, so what's the solution? God's calling all these people. We have these religious Christians, and we have these lawless churchgoers, and then yet He gives really the same command to both of them. And we see that in verse eighteen, the command is worship God out of faith, uh, out of thanksgiving. It's actually. Um, verse 14, where he says, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. In verse 23, to the lawless church attenders, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To both groups of people, he says, come to me and thanksgiving. He's calling us to be thankful. And we see this command all throughout the Psalms. And we see it run all throughout the New Testament. In fact, let me just give you a few verses in the New Testament that reiterate this. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You ever wrestle with what's God's will? Do you ever just go, man, what is it that God wants me to do? He wants you to give thanks right now wherever you at he says in all circumstances give thanks even when your phone goes off in church <laughs> hebrews thir- that's gonna take me a moment to recover hebrews thirteen fifteen. through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to god that is the fruit of lips and acknowledge his name Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. if God's will is that we would give thanks in every circumstance to him. We like to say, yeah, but not here or here or here or not in this one. But God says, at all times, in all situations, this is the very will of God. It's a major theme that runs throughout the entire Bible, thankfulness. Let me just ask you, are you thankful? Do you regularly think through just what God has done in your life and where you're at? you practice thankfulness on a regular basis? And you might say, but how do we do that? How is it that we are to really be a thankful people in all circumstances, I want to say that there's at least three things we would need to know. And so number one, um, actually, I think there's four things. I think I wrote that. Wrong. I think there's four things we need to know. Number one, we need to know the one true God of the Bible. We need to know him. Both the lawless and the religious Christian has a wrong view of God. Look, verse 22 it says, the lawless church attender, they've forgotten about God. And clearly, the religious Christian has a wrong view of God as they're thinking they're actually meeting God's needs as if God was dependent upon them. Um, I just want us to consider what we see in this psalm. Look at what we learn about God. Look at verses 1 and 6. God's rule and power clearly on display. Uh, The earth responds to God's voice. The heavens shout forth His righteousness. He's the judge of all creation. Nothing is outside his rule and dominion. And then in verses 9 through 12, this is made abundantly clear. He's like, I own everything. There's nothing that exists that I do not own, that I do not rule over, that I do not understand. And these religious Christians, they think that they're meeting the very needs of God. And God says in verse 10, every beast In the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. All the birds of the hills and all that moves in the fields is mine. Then verse 12, just to top it off, just to make sure we don't miss it. God says, all the fullness of the world is mine. So what are you going to give to God that he doesn't have? Think about that. What what are we? What are you? What what am I? What are we going to add to this God, here's the point. He owns everything. He rules everything. He has no needs. He's neither dependent or contingent on anything in all creation. Um, if you ever picked up one of those books like The Attributes of God? Um, they're decent, um, but many of them miss a lot of, of the attributes, and there's one attribute that I think as, a, as Christians in general, we often don't know this one, and yet it's probably foundational to all the other attributes. And it's on the, the attribute of God's aseity. That's A-S-E-I-T-Y. Look it up. Um, Ase comes from the Latin, from himself. Matthew Barrett wrote a book on God's attributes called None Greater. Probably my favorite book on the attributes of God. This is what he says about the aseity of God. God is not a needy God. It's not as if he was bored, twiddling his thumbs, desperately lonely prior to creating the world. God is not dependent on the world for his existence, nor is he dependent on the world for his happiness and self-fulfillment. Instead, he possesses life in and of himself. More precisely, he is the fullness of life in all of himself. That's what the psalm is all about. When he says in verse 12, all the world and all its fullness are my; I own everything. Everything is dependent upon me and I am independent of all things. And we see this run throughout scripture. Like Job 41.11, God says, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under heaven is mine. It's pretty clear. Acts 17, this is maybe the most clear text on the aseity of God in scripture. Maybe, might be better or might be other ones. This is one of the best ones that just so clearly, Paul is speaking at the Areopagus and he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed Anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This is the God that we serve. And it's so easy to begin thinking he's like us. But we're made in his image. We need to realize he's the creator, we are the creature, and there's an infinite difference between the two. We are always dependent. He is always independent. He has no needs he is fully independent of all creation so never ever ever think that God is needing us that he's deficient in any way he does not need your money if he needed anything from you or I or anything else in all of creation he would not be God he created out of perfect joy and satisfaction and peace in and of himself. In fact, every time we come into God's word because of this, we need to say, what did I learn about God today? That's a question you can ask every time you read. What truth did I learn about God today? What character was on display? What what attribute of his was being displayed through the truth? Every time we read, we ought to ask, what did I learn about God? Because Every time, God is refining our understanding and our knowledge of Him. Because again, if we have a wrong understanding of God, we will worship God wrongly. And we're sinful, and we're continually influenced by sin, so we continually need to be refined and corrected and taught by the truth of God's Word. So that's number one. We just need to know God. And specifically, I wrote, we need to know the God of the Bible. We know this God. Number two, we need to know the misery of our sin. And we could spend tons of time here. Um, Because of sin, we see that we are separated from this God. This God who gives life to everything, who sustains everything. And because we've sinned against him, we've rebelled against his rule and authority, we think we can survive without him. We think we know better than him. We don't need his instruction, which is why in Proverbs, it will call the one who rejects his instruction the fool. Because of that, we see that we're under his wrath, we're under judgment, and the Bible's clear there's nothing you or I or anyone can do by our own works to remove us from his wrath. In fact, I was, I was in Luke 18 this week, too. I was in Luke a lot, so I think there's lots of references to Luke in your worship guide. Um, let me read this parable. It says, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Sounds kind of like the religious performer. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Our only solution is God's mercy. We will tirelessly work ourselves to death thinking, that we can perform enough, that we can do enough that would merit any favor from God. There's nothing we can do. The Pharisee is a perfect example of how many of us try to come before God. We compare ourselves to others, we give out our spiritual resume, and yet God says none of that matters if you don't come to me for forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ. So, we need to know the misery of our sin, which then leads to we need to know the great redemption that God has given us in Jesus. The only reason we can be in a right relationship with God is because of His grace. And if you look at verse 5 in our text, God gathers those who have made a covenant with Him by sacrifice. The way. Israel became part of God's people was through a covenantal sacrifice in the Old Testament. And all the sacrifices and all the covenants in the Old Testament were ultimately pointing us to the far greater sacrifice. And this is what Hebrews gets into, which we're about to be in. The far greater covenant that Jesus established with, establishes with us that through his blood, through his body, we're actually able to be forgiven. Because we can't merit God's favor that's why God sends his son that he would come to the cross and he would stand in your place and my place where he would bear your punishment and my punishment he'd be our substitute remember the word propitiation see we need to know a like we need like we know propitiation propitiation means wrath absorber he came and stood in our place that he would absorb the wrath of God for us that we could be forgiven that we could have everlasting life, that we could have forgiveness of sins. And that's how we then have a relationship with God. And that's then how we come to thanksgiving. It's when we know who God is, the misery of our sin that has separated us from him and that there's nothing we can do. What God has done for us out of his great, um, what God has done for us out of his great grace in sending Jesus Christ, That's how we are saved. And that leads us to why it is we are to be a thankful people. Because now God, the very creator, has saved us and given us life. What other response would we have? Think about it. If we're we're destined for hell, we're saved by grace, what other response do we have than absolute thankfulness to God? We have gone from death to life We've gone from rebel to citizen. We've gone from guilty to innocent. We've gone from child of the devil to child of God. We've gone from eternal wrath to eternal peace and joy. It's when we understand who God is and what he has done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are filled with thanksgiving. And we would say, yes, thanksgiving is the the necessary response of the gospel. And so what I want to do is just take the rest of our time and say, so what does this look like? What does it look like to live a life of thanksgiving? And I want to specifically, we're just going to apply this to giving. I just want to see, what would it look like for us to be filled with thankfulness as we give to God, as we give of our time, of our talents, and our treasures? So number one, we give out of thankfulness because God has given to us. I just want you to think, we give out of thankfulness because we know what God has given to us. God owns everything. Are you getting that? Is that like sinking in? Like we we can know that, but it can just be this truth that we just get so familiar with, we begin to forget. But he owns everything. He has no needs. And yet he's the one who's given everything to all of creation. He's given us life, He's given us His Son, Jesus Christ. He's given us salvation. And then, what's what's amazing, He gives us not only everything we need to be saved, but then He also gives us everything we need to live as His people. Do you realize that? Like, He gives us everything for life, everything to be saved, and then everything then to live as the saved. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God's work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. How is it that God accomplishes his work in us? Because he works in us. Hebrews 13 says it real clear. 13 verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you know why you can follow all the commands of Scripture? It has nothing to do with your own willpower. It has everything to do with, He equips you with everything good that you may do His will. And when you say, Okay, I get that you know, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. But that's not possible. Exactly. But He equips us, So it would be possible. Do you understand? It has nothing to do with your power, with your strength, with your abilities, with your determination. It has everything to do with His grace. So when we give of our time, our money, and our possessions, we're acknowledging everything ultimately belongs to God. The reason you're breathing right now is because God allows it and gives grace. Every beat of of your heart and breath in your lungs is a gift of grace. Every single one. The reason you have a house, food, money, everything you have ultimately comes from God. We give to God out of thanksgiving. He doesn't need our money. Why? He already owns it all. There's nothing that exists outside of his power and a sustaining ability to keep it in existence. Everything is his. It's kinda like, um, if you're a parent, you know this, you go in your kid's room, they're like, get out! No. I own this room and everything in it, right? Like we do. Like as a parent, for the most part, everything your child has is yours. And you've given it to them. But ultimately, you, you possess it all. Their room that they live in, their bed. That's, they didn't pay for anything. Everything is a gift from you. Everything. And in a far, far, far greater way. Everything in this world is God's. And the only reason you and I have anything is because of what God has given us. Number one. We give out of thankfulness because of what God has given to us. Number two, we give out of thankfulness because we trust in God to meet our needs. Many of you know, I have three kids, three active kids. Um, You've had active kids. The reason we go through shoes in my family is not because my kids grow out of their shoes. I mean, that does happen occasionally, but it's because they just tear them to shreds um, every single time. So I'm just like, can we just wrap them with duct tape just over and over? Um, so what do we do when they, when they rip through their shoes again? We buy them new shoes. And, and when they need clothes, we buy them clothes. And we buy school supplies because they need school supplies. We buy the needs that they have and even sometimes things they just want, right? Like a lot of the things that we give our kids are not because they need them. But it's because we just, like, we, we, want, we want to make them happy. We, we want to, we're bribing them, you know, whatever the case is. <laughs> Hopefully that's not why. But we, we love our children. And so some are able to do more. I, I get that. But the, the point is we, we delight in meeting their needs. We delight in even going beyond their needs when and if we can. So just think that. And now remember what Jesus says in Matthew 7, Verse 11. If you then who are evil, and when he says evil, he's just saying you're sinful. You're not perfect. You're not God. So don't, don't take offense. If you then who are evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Do you get it? He's, make, he, he's giving us comparison from lesser to far greater. If you who are sinful and you don't even know what your kids need half the time and you're doing your best to meet it, what about when the God who's perfect and he fully delights in providing for his children? Look at verse 15 in our text. God promises to deliver his people from trouble when they call upon him. Do you see that? He loves to protect his children, he loves to be with his children. Not only the Bible, but we could go all throughout church history, and we could look at how God provides for his people. One of the most famous examples is probably uh, a man named George Mueller. Anyone heard of him? A few people. Look it up. Um, you can read his biography. He led an orphanage in England. It's really just an amazing life, and, and a man who really trusted in God and prayer. Uh, these are just a few words that John Piper wrote about him in, in a book that he wrote regarding a, on a biography about him. He said, Mueller had prayed in millions of dollars for the orphans and never asked anyone directly for money. He never took a salary in the last 68 years of his ministry, but trusted God to put in people's hearts to send him what he needed. He never took out a loan or went into debt, and and neither he nor the orphans were ever hungry. Like when you read the book and you're just like dumbfounded at how God continually supplies for not only the needs of Mueller, but for the needs of the children. Like, it is just amazing. If we don't know that God is a good father who loves his children and desires to provide for them, then we will not give out a thankfulness. If we don't know that he's good, if we don't know that he delights in providing for us, you will give out of joyless obligation as a means of justifying your own self-righteousness or you simply just will not give. You got to kind of like wrestle. Am I any of those or are any of those a little bit where I lean to? I want to invite you, like the solution to that is just come back into God's word on a daily basis. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that God is good. I just want to encourage you that the number one way to grow in our thankfulness and our desire to give of all that we have is just to come into his word and regularly reminded who God is, who we are, what he's done for us. And then you're just left with going, what other response would I have than absolute thankfulness? Number three, we give out of thankfulness because God is more glorious than possessions. Do you know God's better than money? Do you know it? Like you say it, but like, do you know? Do you really, really believe God is better than money? More, more glorious than money? From cover to cover of the Bible, we just read God is greater. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity. Luke chapter 12, if you remember, there's this guy, and he's building barns, or he has barns, and he filled his barns, and he's like, I need bigger barns to put more of my stuff in. This is like what happens today when you see all those um, storage facilities continually being built, because we need more and more barns to hold all of our stuff And so there's this guy, so he builds bigger barns, and he puts all of the stuff in him. And then in Luke chapter 12, verse 20, God says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and these things you have prepared, whose will they be? Like, what does it matter? You've done all this, you set yourself up, and now you face eternity. Those things don't matter. They're going to someone else. Are you right with God? All throughout the Bible, we see. It's not that money is bad. It's that money never can truly satisfy you, and it can give you false satisfaction and false security. Look at verse 23 in our text. It says, The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. I want you to think about those words, I will show the salvation of God. What does that mean? When God says, you, you live in thanksgiving, you live according to my words, I will show you my salvation. He's referring to the fullness of of all that God promises. God is saying that for all who live a life of thanksgiving and follow His commands, they will experience His perfect peace, comfort, and joy in His very presence for all of eternity. We will not only be freed from the presence of sin, but we will be freed from the very power of sin, never to experience temptation or lust again. He's talking about we will be in the very presence of God for all of eternity. So he's like, you can have your money and your treasure now, and it will fail even if it satisfies temporarily. Or he says, you can trust in me and I will give you everything for all of eternity. Number four, we give out of thankfulness because it's the completion of our faith. I want you to think about this. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn Luke 17. I probably should have told you to turn to Luke earlier. I think this is our third time there. Luke 17, verse 11. It's another par- uh, this isn't a parable. This is a, an encounter Jesus has with some lepers. So this is what we read. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Most likely, the other nine were not then. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed, we're the nine. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go well, your faith has made you well. Now I'm sure all ten lepers were very happy to be healed. And all ten were healed. But only one returns, and it's to this one Jesus says, Your faith has made you well. Now, wait a minute. They were all healed, right? Ten lepers, all healed. But now he says, your faith, as if something different has happened to this one who has come and offered thanksgiving to God, he is now made well. This is the one who truly experiences salvation in Jesus. This is the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, the other other nine... Did not have faith in Jesus. They experienced his benefits and they liked him, but they didn't love Jesus. And the temptation of man is that we're distracted by his gifts and we don't come to the giver. That's what the other nine did. They liked him. I mean, no doubt they loved that Jesus healed them. They probably told other people they should go see him, but they weren't ready to live for him. And what we see is it's the one. Who comes with praise and thanksgiving to jesus that has faith in him what other response would there be from the one who truly believes in jesus when you watch a when you watch your favorite football team or whatever sport and they score in the last seconds and end up going from losing to winning what do guys do yeah, we scream, we jump up and down, like two chest bumps, um, fist bumps, a little bit of everything, right? Depends upon what house you're in. Gorman, you guys, you guys get wild? Yeah, for sure. So Christy's like, oh, yeah, I just leave. Um, like we, we, we go crazy. The yelling and, and the, the fist bumping and everything else is the expression of that joy that we have. Ch- children. Birthday, Christmas, they come and they, come, they run down and full of glee and giggles and laughter and every other noise that comes out of them is just full of happiness as they have presents, right? It's, that is the expression of their joy, of their happiness. How much greater is the expression of you and I who know we have gone from death to life Because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And we are now promised everlasting life in his presence, full of peace, full of joy, to be made like him. What other response can there be? And the means in which we demonstrate that, one of the means is that we give. We give of our time. We give of our talents. We give of our treasures to let everyone know these things are not what's everything most important thing to me is the grace of Jesus Christ, which was given to me by God. So again, I'm not preaching so you give more money. I, I, don't, I don't care what you give. And I don't mean that, like, in a rude way. Like, that's, you give how God leads you to give. My biggest concern is that you'd give out of thankfulness. My biggest concern is that you would wrestle through, and if it leads you to giving less or whatever, you would just say, are we giving of our time to church? Of our our treasures? Of our talents? Of our abilities? Are Are we actually giving to others? Are we actually advancing the kingdom with all that God has given us? Are we trying to just build bigger houses? More storage? Is that what we're concerned with? Are we just giving it away because we know... That ultimately everything we have is a gift from God and we now are living testimony in this world of the grace of God. And one way we do that is just by giving it away and showing the world we don't treasure anything in this world above Jesus Christ. That's what I just want to ask you to do is consider who God is, what he's done for you in Jesus Christ and then give how he leads you out of thankfulness whether that's time, talent and treasure. I'm going to pray, and the team is going to come and lead us in song. Father, Father, we just praise you. We just praise you. Everything we have is because it's from you. Our health, our money, our possessions, every breath that we have, every beat of the heart, the fact that we're saved, it's all by your grace. And so Lord, I pray that we, we would continually be refined in our understanding of you through your word. I pray we'd be in your word every day. I pray that every week we'd gather as your people, that together we'd grow in our knowledge of you through your word. And that every wrong view that we have of you would continually be corrected by your grace and your word each and every day. And Lord, I pray that we live obedient lives out of thankfulness and joy because of everything that you've given us. We would look at your commands, not as a weight, but a joy. We have the privilege of living and being, as what Paul says, a living sacrifice in this world to tell others about you. And Lord, I pray. I pray if there's anyone in here and we've drifted towards just religious performance. We're thinking that somehow our abilities, our, our actions have made us more worthy. Or possibly we've gone the other side towards so just lawlessness, and we've just become lazy in our Christianity, thinking, what does it matter? Lord, I pray you draw us to repentance. That we'd confess before you whatever sin we have, that we we would live a life full of joy and thanksgiving to you. And Lord, I pray that we would give freely of our money, freely of our time, freely of our abilities and everything that you give us to make your name great so that other people would hear and see your greatness because we know of the treasure we have in you. In your name, Jesus, amen.